This episode of Converge with my guests, Ben and Laura Harrison, is sponsored by Fastermind Coaching. Fastermind is your personal trainer for you and your business, getting the kind of results you've been looking for at a price any entrepreneur can afford. For more information, check out fastermindcoaching.com. Converge is my chance to connect with creatives who make really interesting things. And when they can, profit from those things, often in ways that might surprise you. My background as a photographer and author gets me in conversations with visual storytellers and writers, but also musicians, actors, business and thought leaders, basically people who work very hard, not just to make a buck, but also to make a point. The invitation is to understand a little more of the context that surrounds their work and hopefully discover a fresh perspective that might inspire something new around the value you're making in the world. As regular listeners know, this podcast is all about the idea of making things and then making something from those things, whether it's you know money with a business or making a point uh, with something profound or something significant to you. Well, our guests today are a combination of both. Ben and Laura Harrison are entrepreneurs, and I met them at a very unique event in Boston, Massachusetts, uh, not too long ago. But we actually knew each other before that because both they and I uh, live in the world of photography. And when I saw Ben and Laura on stage presenting for their brand new startup, Jonas Paul Eyewear, I was blown away, not just by the fact that they had created something really cool, and you'll hear more about that in a minute, but because their narrative, their story, their come from was just so compelling. And I think as you guys listen to their story, what it might inspire for you is a sense of urgency to ground what you're making into something that's really meaningful way beyond the dollars you're going to make. The only thing that we can actually control is our response to the situation. I'm your host, Dane Sanders, and I want to welcome you to Converge. Ben and Laura Harrison, welcome to Converge. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us on, Dane. We appreciate it. I I love the fact that when we met a second time after your guys' pitch over at Q Ideas uh, in Praxis, and we'll talk more about those things in a little bit, that you reminded me that we had already known each other from the photo world, but I was entirely showing up as a pure fan that you guys had just <laughs> like blown me away. I was like tripping over myself saying like, oh, can you give me a second? I'm just so impressed. And, and uh, you guys were very gracious to remind me that we knew each other already and <laughs> from the photo, photo world. But um, for those who don't know about uh, Jonas Paul Eyewear, why don't you share a little bit of, of your story and how you got into the eyewear business? Yes. Um, as you'll see, it was just a natural flow from our other business <laughs> ventures. Um, so we both went to a small school in Indiana, a small liberal arts college, and then we moved up to Grand Rapids. I got my master's in photography at an art school here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, that is. And we started a photography business, kind of a natural flow out of the college scene. You know, a lot of friends getting married, et cetera. They found out we're good with photography and they want somebody to shoot their wedding on the cheap. So fair trade-off that we get the experience and they get affordable wedding photography. So started there and then we really grew that business. And along the way, we kind of recognized some other needs and started design resources for photographers as well as uh, some website templates and hosting for photographers. So with all of our businesses so far, it had just been about recognizing a need 
in the industry we were in and then just creating a minimum viable product, just putting it out there, testing the market, seeing if there was interest. And they, yeah, the business is just kind of snowballed from there. Well, and, and let me interject there real quick. I, what I love about that is it's such a, a familiar conversation, right? People who start in one business, oftentimes service-based businesses, and they realize that service-based businesses are very challenging to scale. And then they realize they, they keep wanting to do that, but they also discover needs within those industries that they're working in, and they try to fill them like you did. But they, they end up creating kind of two business lines. One is business to consumer, and the other one is business to business. And that's it sounds like that's what you did in the photo world. Yes, definitely. Yeah, um, as you said, in the wedding photography business especially, oftentimes now it's just you know a person and you're the name behind it and you're the creative so yeah like you said it's really hard to scale because people are hiring you for you and your creativity so then it yeah it was kind of just recognizing that need that you know wedding photography may be a great lifestyle business and you know create a great lifestyle for us but at the same time it would always require us being there for every you know, every event, every hour that they're paying for, you're the one that has to be involved. Whereas, yeah, we kind of always had that desire to be able to create things that could be just more residual income that didn't always require our time for every single purchase or every single, you know, payment. And that was the, yeah, reason or the impetus behind our other ventures within the photography realm. But but then you made the leap. You're, you weren't just... I mean, of course, we can all see the natural progression between photography and eyewear. I mean, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> why don't you explain that that jump? What happened? Yes. Yeah, so um, our son was born. His name is Jonas Paul. Shortly after he was born, uh, our pediatrician came in to just kind of do the the rundown and just check everything, make sure everything looked normal. And she brought to our attention that his eyes didn't look normal. And she said, at this point, I don't really know what it is but it's just, it's not right. It's not, you know, cause we thought, oh, well, he's just been through this traumatic experience of being born. So, <laughs> you know, could it be just, you know, goop in his eyes or, you know, whatever through the process. And she said, no, it's not that it's definitely something different, but I don't know what yet. So I want to get a pediatric ophthalmologist in to just, you know, give him a um, just do a further examination. And we just went in and then the, you know, the doctor, after she had done it, she took him for a couple hours for the examination and just came back into the room and said, I, I don't know. This is very rare. I haven't really seen this before. I don't know what it is, but it doesn't look good. And I can just remember Laura just yelling out to the doctor, you know, is he blind? And I think her response was just what it just literally sucked the oxygen from the room because she said, you know, I don't know, but but it just doesn't look good. And so she wouldn't really give a straight answer. And at that point, we kind of recognized that this wasn't just a temporary thing. Like, this could be a permanent thing. He could be blind. You know, we didn't know what, what the level of vision would be. So, you know, and for us, uh, as we had kind of shared at Q Conference, you know, when you're getting ready to have your first child, you have all these dreams of what they're going to be like and what activities you're going to do with them. And, you know, for me, it was thinking of throwing a ball back and forth in the yard or teaching them to ride their first bike or drive their first car. And, you know, and in that moment when the doctor, you know, told us that statement, all of those dreams, you know, we just had to, they just were removed in an instant and we had to release them. Mm -hmm. So, Laura, will you share a little bit about 
about that moment, what that was like, if you can remember it? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a very um, trying moment. Just when I think back on it, I think I remember certain aspects of it because I had just come from, um, I had, had to have an emergency C-section. So I was pretty like drugged up just with all of the medicine. And so not quite 100% there mentally, but I just remember thinking to myself, like, how can this be? And what happened? Like, how did we overlook this? How did we miss something in ultrasound? And, you know, you're just all those questions, all those why questions are just like flowing through your mind so quickly that I felt like I couldn't even keep up with where my head was at. And, and when she, she told us that statement and I just, I literally was laying in the hospital bed, just like screaming and thinking like what just happened and how did this happen? And will my child, I remember one of the first thoughts I thought had was, will my child ever see my face and, um, mm. and just how, and I think being photographers for so long, we're such visual people. And mm. I mean, people in general too are obviously very visual. And when you take that component of being able to look at your child or have your child look at you away, like, what what you feel kind of empty and you feel you know lost and so that was a really like challenging moment I'll never forget it obviously I wish that wasn't our situation but but it is our story and mm -hmm. it is um it is what we've gone through and so um and, and yours actually isn't it's entirely unique and at the same time uh tragically far too common I mean there's so many folks that feel alone when mm -hmm. when trauma hits the unexpected, you know whether Absolutely. it's you know cancer or you know uh, disability, mm -hmm. uh, and of course it it feels so out of reach. Like how how could this have happened to us? Mm -hmm. um, and yet I'm guessing too there is a solidarity. Like you you also found a whole new world of people that you didn't know existed. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because yeah, it does sometimes feel like it takes a tragedy or just a loss or a, you know, just a painful situation for your true friends to kind of bubble to the surface. And, and that was the case for us. Um, and we did, we really did have certain friends that really stepped into that, you know, challenging situation with us and, and did live through it with us. And, uh, the impact that had on us and as well on them was just incredible. One of my favorite um, experiences of running into you guys was the context that we found ourselves in. So a little quick word for those of you guys who don't know, there's this event called Q Ideas that happens each year. And a friend of mine and you guys too, a guy named Gabe Lyons puts it on, Gabe and Rebecca Lyons. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really fascinating conversation around culture building. But it, it, it tends to invite folks who care a lot about meaning making in our culture and uh, it was in that space that we had a chance to reconnect. And as I watched you guys in the middle of a pitch competition for this part of Q 
Q, which is called Praxis. It's not actually part of Q directly, but they're related. And uh, and maybe you guys can articulate this far better than I. But what I what struck me as a as a someone in the audience of watching these the Shark Tank like set of pitches that was going on on stage, and you guys won the whole shebang. I mean, it was hyper competitive, some great competition, really phenomenal uh, pitches going on. And in the for profit category, you guys dominated. And uh, and I'm pretty sure my vote actually puts you over the top. I'm pretty pretty <laughs> confident. But 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 uh, all that said, I kept thinking in my mind, and this relates to the story you just shared. I kept thinking in my mind, oh, these guys—they're not just selling eyewear; they're in the redemption business. Like they're 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 redeeming a really hard thing, and actually making making it beautiful and. Like not just beautiful, like the actual thing they're selling is beautiful, but the, far far more interesting is the the story you're telling. That it's just gorgeous. So talk a little bit about how all of this set the table for Jonas Paul Eyewear. Yeah, definitely. And I I actually had I'd like to share a little quote if that's okay. I pulled it up because I feel like it really summarizes our situation. So there's a contemporary author that recently wrote, we plot, we plan, we assume things are going to go a certain way. And when they don't, we find ourselves in a new place, a place we haven't been before, a place we never would have imagined on our own. It's the difficult and the unexpected, and maybe even the tragic that opens us up and frees us to see things in new ways. Many of the most significant moments in our lives come not because it all went right, but because it all fell apart. Suffering does that. It hurts, but so creates. And so I share that because I feel like that really is our story. I mean, we were we were going along, had businesses that were successful, uh, just had a great, you know, easy life. And all of a sudden, you know, our son was born and he wasn't normal. And it completely changed the course of our life. I would say once we knew that Jonas had the potential for sight, that was a really big moment for us because for a good chunk of maybe the first six months of his life, we really don't know if he saw much, um, was mostly probably blind. And once we started doing um, some surgeries on his eyes, because essentially he was born with cloudy corneas, so his eyes were essentially just gray. When you looked at them, they couldn't really track anything together. They would wander all over the place. And once once we knew um, after some of these surgeries that he would have potential for sight, I think that's when things really started kind of creating for us and thinking, okay, well, if, if our son's going to wear glasses, uh, we want them to look awesome and be stylish and be <laughs> functional at the same time. Is there anything out there? And we we really started kind of going online and researching and realizing there's nothing out there that was really going to work for us. And so like you do, you decide, hey, let's start a children's eyewear company that is fashion forward glasses, but also obviously serves the function of the prescription side of things. And so of course, that's what you do. That's what everybody does. Everyone does that. Yeah, yeah, duh, right. So that was kind of a big moment for us of, you know, just realizing, hey, this is an amazing gift that it does look like he's going to have potential for sight as far as what that is. We still at this point don't exactly know what he sees, but but we knew that, hey, if our son 
you know, it needs to wear glasses and we want them to look stylish and be functional. I'm sure that there's other people out there that feel the exact same way that we do. And so that was a big, a big turning point for us. And we just feel like the amazing thing so far about Jonas Paul Eyewear has just been how the impact has really, um, has really just spread like wildfire and how we've been able to just build confidence in these young kids and make them feel beautiful. And I think that's just like such a driving force for us right now. Yeah. And I want to, well, I'll circle back to on that. And I, I feel like Laura, Laura had mentioned, you know, once Jonas had had several surgeries and he was looking like he maybe had potential for sight, or at least the doctors said he did. I guess we, we kind of had a sit down and we said, okay, well, and I had maybe shared this with Laura or vice versa. I can't remember exactly, but we kind of sat down and just said, do you feel like, you know, we're missing out on our son's development because we're so focused on what's not there or how he's different. And we both kind of came to that conclusion that, that we really did feel like we were missing out on how amazing our son was and all the milestones that he was, he was achieving because we were so fixated on what wasn't there it's amazing how we just recognize he really taught us to experience the world more fully because we realized how reliant we are on just one sense, you know, instead of utilizing all five, because it's amazing how you can experience the world using all five of your senses as opposed to, you know, focusing solely on one. And anyway, so I think that whole experience of us kind of coming to grips with our situation and saying, Hey, there's nothing we can do to change this. The only thing that we can actually control is our response to the situation. And that just, for whatever reason, that just, it was like this amazing release. And all of a sudden it allowed us to just really love our son for who he was and not fixate so much on, you know, how he's different. And obviously there's incredible challenges and, you know, he's been through 16 surgeries and he's only a little over two years old. And that's always going to be hard, but he's amazing. And he's, you know, just an amazing kid. And, you know, to wish for something different would be to wish for someone that isn't our son. And we wouldn't wish that because, you know, we love him dearly. And so that also, I think with the the whole situation, just that recognition of, well, why, you know, why do kids still have to be embarrassed to wear glasses? Like, why are they still made fun of this? You know, you look at adults and how many adults wear them just as a fashion statement. But yet for kids, they're still just like purely functional and always bright colors and just, I mean, downright ugly to be blunt. So <laughs> so we thought if we could design these glasses that actually empower children and give them confidence and all of a sudden, you know, it's exciting to wear glasses, giving them something that all of a sudden they won't carry those wounds, you know, later on is just incredible to me. So there's a number of pieces to this puzzle here. So we have a pretty amazing story that the the three of you guys have built and uh, mm-hmm. lived lived in, and you've created a, a killer product. I actually love the Wall Street Journal quote: "Kids' glasses that adults will look at with envy." And, yeah. and I I think that you know nothing like uh, envy in comparison to help sell product. It's incredible. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, but uh, I think that again, killer story, killer product. Killer price. I, I actually don't want to say the price because I want people to go to jonaspauleyewear.com and just check it out for yourself. You'll be blown away. Um, yeah. But uh, the price is great. And and then the other part that struck me, and that, now we're getting into the to kind of the 
some of the tactical efforts you guys have made to take this product and bring it to market in a way that just works on its own, distinct from the narrative. But one of the things you guys care a lot about, I know, is the process of how people choose their glasses and and go through the the deal. And to sell a product like glasses online is not easy. It's kind of like the challenges that folks like Tony over at Zappos had uh, in selling shoes online. Like people want to touch and feel and and, and you guys have made it really easy for people to do that. So as quick as you can, tell us a little bit of that process of coming up with your your home try-on kit that you guys came up with. So it's super easy and simple. You can just go right to the website, check out, purchase, or well, you don't technically purchase, but you can check out and order your kit. And then within a few, free shipping both ways. yeah, we offer free shipping both ways. And then you can just get the kit in a few days, try them on in your the comfort of your own home and then share, you know, post on Facebook and Instagram, all, you know, the, the cuteness of your child and well, try and get tell you how adorable yeah. your child is. <laughs> and, uh, have your the real so, purpose yeah. of social media. Now we're clear. Yes. It's not, and, uh, to, not to commiserate or suffer together. It's purely to like <laughs> things. Yeah, go ahead. So yeah, get the opinions of your friends and then be able to just go right back. Um, you can then send the kit back to us and then order the frame that you ended up liking out of the kit. So it's super easy and we like to believe it's pretty convenient for the parent and for the child. Yeah. And then with that too, then, you know, you can go back and order the frame you want. And then we have a lab now as well that fulfills the prescriptions. Yeah. A mom recently had written us and, uh, and said this, said, I just wanted to send my sincere gratitude for creating frames that won't make my daughter feel different. She has frames now like mommy and daddy and thinks that princesses sent her the box to try on. So I thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing what you are doing. Your son is absolutely adorable. And in his short life, I am sure has changed the lives of many, ours included. I love you people. <laughs> just I'm not supposed to like be uh you know all eclamped on this side of the the microphone but yeah. that, that's just moving. I mean to know that you guys are are providing for your family, you create a scalable business, you created a killer product, you're redeeming a, a tough story. And now it's a story it sounds like you wouldn't even trade, but you wouldn't wish on people, but you wouldn't trade and and at the same time it's now rippling into other people's lives because you've had the opportunity to to package up redemption and put it in a pair of glasses that other kids could put on. And and they don't have to actually have the same kind of dynamic or challenge that Jonas does in your life. Yeah. No, and it's true. It's it's been cool to see, like you said, just in even in that quote that Laura shared, just how, yeah, a simple, beautifully designed product can can really make an impact in people's lives. I mean, we've we've been amazed by that piece of it is just that the simple act of buying something actually changes how they think about the world or how they, you know, view things because they've, they realize that it's much more than just a product. It's a story, it's a mission, you know, all wrapped into this one, you know, beautiful object. So for folks who are at home and they're listening in and they're inspired and they've already ordered their their try on kit and yes. <laughs> uh, they're they, they, you know they're going back and forth because a lot of the folks that subscribe to this podcast are themselves entrepreneurs and they're trying yeah. to, to and and they might not have this narrative or, or story or 
Uh, and and I'm sure uh, just in telling this story, there's a lot of folks that are getting enrolled as consumers, but for folks who are trying to translate what you've learned to their context. So maybe they are photographers or maybe they are small business owners or whether it be service-based or product-based. What are some learnings that you would, like if you're having coffee with somebody in a totally different industry and they say to you, okay, what did you learn that I should be learning? That's That's probably a blind spot that I could take advantage of. If there was one or two kind of just nuggets of idea that you you wish you had known before you went through all this uh, that has made a big difference. What would that be? I think a struggle that entrepreneurs often face is that, I forget who coined it, but the kind of failure to launch syndrome where they feel as though their product has to be the best in the market or your, you know, or even just that hindrance of thinking, oh, well, for us, it was how do I even go about lining up a manufacturer and how do I find one that's, you know, ethically produce, treats their employees and ethically producing the product and, and all of that. And had I let that kind of paralyze me, you know, this would have never happened. Um, but there's so many amazing resources out there now. And I think the key is just figuring out, you know, a term that's thrown around a lot in the startup world is the MVP or just that minimum viable product. But I think there is, I think there's a lot of truth to that. Figure out the most basic form of what could work and then just release it and kind of see, you know, start to get feedback, you know, start to ask your friends, family, et cetera. Cause I think, I think if you focus on too many features and too many things that, you know, oftentimes it just can become paralytic and it just sits, you know, on your shelf or sits on your computer and never, you know, never even sees the light of day because of your own fears or concerns with thinking, Oh, are people going to like this? And, you know, you don't really know until you get it out there and start getting feedback. And if you don't make that huge investment up front, but just kind of make a minimal investment to get the product out, then it allows you to have the resources to perfect it as you get feedback. Because a lot of times you you think people want one thing, and then when you get it out there, it's like, oh, well, they kind of wanted that. But what they really wanted was like the most simplistic form of what I actually was trying to produce. Mm-hmm. What I, one of the things I love about the way you're framing that too is for folks at home who are thinking about uh, maybe quitting their day job or or moving on that it doesn't have to be as risky either. I mean, telling your story in retrospect, this massive success story, in a sense, is easy to tell. But uh, when it was in real time, it wasn't obvious that everything was going to f- work out the way it's worked out. And yeah. you know, you 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 guys kept your day job during that time, and you're still on some level. You know, you still shoot. Uh, you still do what you want to do uh, in a number of areas, but for the folks who are listening at home, that what I'm hearing you say is they should have a lot of permission to move at a pace that that they can sustain because they're in it for the long haul. They're not just trying to make a quick buck. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. and I was going to say too, along the lines of what Ben was just saying, you know, for us, like I kind of shared earlier, we we had a whole different model when we launched this business, and within six or seven months completely changed it, which we kind of knew long-term we wanted to do that, but we knew that to get to that point, to be offering the home try-on kits, we needed to have our feet a little more wet before we got to that point and kind of figure things out a little bit. And then at, you know, whenever that point was that we kind of decided, okay, we're ready to do this. So we totally, you know, like Ben said, we, we didn't want to let that stop us from just delaying starting it and releasing it to the public because it was like let's just get it out there see what people like see if this is you know well received and then from there we can kind of choose hey let's 
flip things around, change things up a little bit. And, you know, we did that and thankfully it's worked out pretty well. So, yeah. And I think, I think that's another lesson in entrepreneurship is you have to have enough humility to recognize this idea that you thought was just this amazing gem, you know, of wisdom (laughs) that no one's ever thought of. Um, Just being able to recognize quickly if people aren't responding the way that you thought they would and, you know, being able to kind of just pivot, you know, as you're going to not be so set in your ways that's like, oh, I know that people want this product even though five people have bought it in six months. You know, it's like (laughs) you have to be able to listen to customer feedback and get those responses and, and, you know, and just be willing to scrap your original idea and shift in a different direction. And then too, not, you know, not being too hard on yourself if you do have to make that shift. Because I think, I think there's so many great lessons that are learned just from trying. Uh, even, you know, we've had multiple businesses that weren't a success, but when we look back on them, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but we, you know, when you look back, Pardon the you pun. Say, hey, Pardon just... the pun. Nice work on the 2020. That was good. <laughs> yeah, that was good. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Um, pun intended. Um, but no, yeah, now when we look back at our other ventures, it's kind of like, oh, I realized why we did that and what we learned. And, you know, that gave us a skill that then allowed us to execute this better or this better. and Or it just simply humbled us and, you know, made us more aware of, you know, what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing and what our skill sets are. And, you know, not trying to force things. This was episode 047 of Converge, the Business of Creativity podcast. ConvergePodcast.com is our home where you'll find past episodes as well as Go, the unconference for creators looking to grow their business. Want to come? Check out ConvergeSummit.com. Music today provided by TripleSkinMusic.com. Sound as good as you look. Thanks to Anna Quaza at acreative.co for her audio production. And special thanks to the Harrisons for being with us. Visit them and get your stylish glasses for your kids over at JonasPaulEyewear.com. Finally, if you haven't shared an episode of Converge with a friend, would you? Think of one person right now who you think would benefit from our conversations with Seth Godin, Chris Gillibo, Ann Hanley, Scott Stratton, Ryan Holiday, and many, many others, and invite them to join in. You caring enough to do that sort of thing is a nod to us that we're doing something right. And like leaving those reviews at iTunes, we see you. It's a really big deal. So thanks. That's it for now. I'm Dan Sanders. I cannot wait until next time.